this week on Magnificent, kicking it old school with technology, changes coming to Verizon and other U.S. carriers, and how rumors shape our expectations. It's episode 14 of Magnificent. I'm Ian Fuchs, and back with us this week, MacTrass.com senior editor Chris Houck, and also with us as usual, the man with 99 problems, all stemming from Apple's beta software, <laughs> Mr. Jake Glenn Kunzler. <laughs> hey, guys. It's good to Welcome see you made back. it back, Glenn. Indeed. It was, uh, I, I gotta say, I'm responsible for the unlucky 13. I, uh, I nuked my Mac setup with, uh, the latest, uh, El Capitan beta, which, uh, that was, uh, that was a bit of excitement. It took me about, uh, about a week to sort that out and get everything working again, so. But all is well now. Indeed. You could probably spend about a half hour telling us the whole saga, couldn't you? Uh, I'm sure I could. Um, I, I bet we have more interesting things to discuss, though, for sure. Uh, All uh, I'll say is uh, never run beta software on your main setup, at least not without backing up. I, uh, I got a little too brazen that time around. Usually I have a clone lying around, but I thought, oh, come on, it's beta 6. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Famous last it's words, right? It's beta 6, and, and LCAP isn't even that big of an update from Yosemite. How could How could anything go wrong? Yeah, right? All the other betas have been pretty smooth. But what can you do, right? Right. Well, um, let's dive right in. What's everybody drinking? I have a lovely, um, what the hell am I drinking? Oh, yeah, Forty Creek Canadian whiskey. And uh, <laughs> I only drink that all the time. Maybe that's the reason I can't remember it. I drink it all the time. <laughs> Got some Forty Creek and uh, ginger ale. And a nice little tumbler here with a straw, so I get drunk quicker. Is, is that a real thing? I hope so. God, I hope so. I've got a lovely Pepsi in a hipsterific mason jar with a uh, uh, a nice healthy dose of uh, Makers added to the mix. Wait, when did mason jars go from hillbilly to hipster? Hey, man. 2013. <laughs> ah. As long as there was a date and you know we have an anniversary, yeah. we're fine. <laughs> Somewhere mid June of twenty thirteen. Mid June twenty thirteen. I'll check yeah. the internet, it'll tell me. I'm sure. Um Yeah, it was one of those things. I, I noticed this a couple weeks ago that it seems like we have better episodes when we all have a drink. So I'm drinking Iowish, which is a kind of Bailey's ish uh whiskey based liqueur. Um it's delicious and tastes kind of like coffee. And I'm also drinking coffee. So I figure somewhere the caffeine and the alcohol kind of neutralize and my heart explodes. You're going to be a real talkative drunk. All right, well, Those are always kinda, fun to be around. I'm, a, I'm talkative as it is, and I'm a talkative drunk as it is, so I don't think you'll notice a change. I'm going to have to start getting into angry Red Bulls. I've been a big fan of Red Bull lately. There's, it, it's, it's got to be improved with a little bit of zip. Angry Red Bulls. I don't do anything angry when I'm drunk. I'm a real pleasant drunk. When I'm drunk, a Girl Scout can kick my ass. So if I bump into the door jam, I apologize and say, excuse me. That's lovely. <laughs> so, That's the voice of experience, young man. I, I'll take it. Uh, what's the best drink you've ever had? Or the, the fanciest drink you've ever had? Or maybe the most expensive? Uh, since I know we're all kind of whiskey drinkers most of the time, maybe it's just a really fancy whiskey you've had that you you're quite fond of. I am usually a whiskey drinker. Um, I had a, a vodka stint in my 20s. Everyone but, did. But actually the best 
straight alcohol I've ever drank was vodka, and I usually can't say it about any vodka, but it was in Russia. I actually got to visit Russia. We went to a, one of the big palaces. I think it was Catherine's Palace, Catherine the Great's Palace, maybe. I don't know. I was drunk. And uh, they had bottles of vodka and shot glasses on every table. And it was smooth oh, like man. water. Wow. And they'd started doing the rushing dancing with the, hey, hey. And nobody else at the table was drinking except me and uh, my friend. And we decided we'd have a drinking game. We would take a shot every time they say, hey. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. that's that. uh, Two bottles later, we woke up the next morning. And, uh, yeah, it, was, it didn't have a hangover, though. That was the great part. No hangover. I never wow. had vodka with no hangover. And fortunately, I got so drunk, I did not grab a bottle of it or find out what the name of it was. Of course. So, and it was pre-iPhone days, so you didn't snap a picture. Right, either. right. Yeah, now I do it. So it's, it's, a, it's a legendary vodka out there somewhere that I know I, it's my white whale, I guess. You know, I, I, I'll find it someday. What about you, Glenn? Uh, best drink ever. Probably, I don't know about the best because that's 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 really hard. But the fanciest thing for sure. Um, I had a, a really nice, uh, finely aged coconut green tea sake once in a Japanese restaurant, uh, paid for by the IT director of uh, Ogden City. That's about fifteen minutes away from me. Um, I, I'm told it was like twenty-seven dollars a shot, and I, I might have had several of those. So, um, pretty wow. pretty if nice. Somebody else is paying for it. It always tastes better. Absolutely. That's true. I can't say that I have a, a best or most expensive that I can think of offhand. I've paid a lot for drinks, uh, but I've paid a lot for beer downtown because that's what happens in a city. So I don't think price will be my, my gauge for it. Uh, but since it is nice and warm out, I really enjoy a honey whiskey mm. with a little bit of lemonade and just a splash of ginger ale on top. Which one to do give you it a little bubble. Um, I, I, I've done both the Jack Daniels honey and the Evan Williams honey. Evan Williams. Is that right? I've got Sounds Jim right. Beam honey right now. Yeah. It, pretty much any of, they're all pretty similar. I mean, they're all yeah, American yeah. bourbon whiskey, honey flavored. They get you so. drunk. So, you know, it all works. Yep. It's always nice to have that little splash of citrus in there. Mm-hmm. That was something I discovered a little over a year ago. And I think I remember telling you about it, Glenn. Mm-hmm. And you were like, that sounds fantastic. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm still so. still jealous of that. So, Anyway, moving on to more pressing topics related to not drinking. Mm. Um, as of this week, the Apple Watch is available in on Best Buy site and slowly starting to show up in stores. From my understanding, at least, sort of. Which is um, yeah, here sort of. It's it's not in any of their retail locations yet. Okay. Um, um, what what they've got is a. It's available for pickup in some of them. Uh, available the for pickup, but the first, they, they don't the have displays um, or like regular shelf to retail stock just yet. Hmm. Um, they, they're doing it on a trial basis right now to kind of see what kind of experience people are having with the product. And to give people a closer way that aren't as close to Apple stores. But it's definitely not the same experience at this point, retail-wise, as what you can get at an Apple store. I think very much intentionally so. It also makes a huge difference the type of Best Buy you're in. Because I know like one of the Best Buys kind of near me 
like their Apple stuff, they basically just have like a table with some iPads on it. Mm-hmm. And then right next to it's the table with the Samsung tablets. And right next to that is the surfaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I have another Best Buy that actually has like the little mini Apple store yeah. type setup in it where it's like, here's the Apple stuff. Here's the Macs and here's the iPads and here's the iPhones. And like, it's its own little area. I think in those stores, the retail space should be pretty easy for the watch. Like, bring in the little case like they have in the Apple Store, display the models, have a little try-on station if you need it, boom. But for the other ones that are, you know, where their wearable tech is just a shelf on a wall, it's a little harder to to demo that. So I, I could see how the experience definitely could vary and how you could have a store that doesn't have a great experience. Mm-hmm. At least for now. I'm sure they'll slowly get there. So that leads to, I guess, the next kind of question off of that. I, I know I asked you about this earlier this week, Glenn. Um, where next? Because I know you said you guys don't have stock yet at Simply Mac, but you're anticipating getting stock at some point, you think? At, at some point. Um, Apple's pretty careful about how they roll out their products to retail. Um, and It's always going to go to their channel distributors uh, first before it goes to a premium reseller. So I, I would anticipate probably in the next month or two it's going to start uh, trickling down to some of the more independent businesses. Um, but they want to make sure those those businesses have displays and infrastructure set up specifically for the products before they before they unleash it, especially with something as unique as the watch. So we think it'll be indirect re- indirect Apple stores that have it next, or is it going to be somewhere some other type of almost big box store. It's probably going to be the next big box down the line. Uh, I think it's going to be some while before we see it at places like Walmart. Um, but perhaps other electronic stores. Um, I, I know Fry's has, has some great stores. They're probably a prime candidate. Yeah, most Fry's usually have a Mac area or an Apple area set aside. Mm-hmm. They have a couple of vials with a, a center table, at least the ones so, I've been in. So Fry's is something that is beyond just the one location kind of by me? Oh, yeah, yeah they're Fry's, all over. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge, I, huge. I, it's, I had it's no mostly, idea. It was mostly in the southwest, and they just started expanding to yeah, the Midwest no a couple of years ago. I'd also maybe see like an H.H. Gregg, but I think that's also – I think that's a local thing, but I could be wrong. That could be elsewhere too. Um, Cause in, I know we have several of the H.H. Gregg locations around here. Yeah, we have them in Tennessee also. They're mostly okay. Midwest and Southeast. Sure. We had them in Indiana so, also when I was there. I, I could maybe see some of those places picking up. Target's yeah. a possibility. I mean, they at least have displays for the iPads and yeah and such. But uh, I don't know. I could see probably somewhere, like you said, the electronic stores that may have better service. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's at least a few months before it goes anywhere else, or even until the second generation. That could be. I think it also gets really complicated when you consider. I mean, obviously, we're we're going to exclude the addition because I don't think anyone in a Best Buy or Target is dropping ten thousand dollars <laughs> on a watch. Oh no. Um, but if you assume that you have the the sport and the stainless model. Even out of those, it's easy to rack up twenty to twenty-six, at least oh, yes. different 
Yeah. I mean, with the the sport alone, you have two sizes and five colors. That's ten configurations just in the sport to have in stock all the time. So there's certainly some complexity to it with that, which I think also kind of speaks to how they're going to present these things in stores. I'm surprised they didn't come up with some type of, like, not-from-Apple packaging where it was like you get a box and it has just the watch in it, mm-hmm. and then a separate box, it's the band you want. So they could just have a stack of 38 millimeter stainless and a stack of 42 millimeter stainless and a stack of 38 and 42 sports. And it's like, okay, you want the sport with the white band. Here's the sport watch and here's the white band. And make it kind of a more like outlet type experience than a retail store. But then again, that's that's very unApple like. Kind of so. anti-Apple, yeah. Maybe you can suggest that to Samsung. They're already doing it. <laughs> I thought it, and they started working on it. You mentioned the the edition. I've always been curious what the numbers are for the edition at the Apple Store that's in the uh, Caesar's Palace Mall in Vegas. I wonder if my guess the sales is, are higher. My guess is you'd have to find somebody who works in that store yeah. who's a little loose lip because. Because you know Apple's never going to report that type of number. They're not even going to ever break it down. Yeah, they don't break by, it down by model, much less by more. model. Yeah, hell, they they may not even break it down at all. They might just say Apple Watch is part of that iPod. Yeah, right now that's where it's at. It's in the corner and that other. Here's a number. Yeah, I, I just there's got to be you know a drunken big winner staggering through the oh, mall. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden I mean, remembers the, the Apple Watch. The number of high dollar things that happen in Vegas as it is, it, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if the uh the addition is But the a hot sales seller. figures for Vegas stay in Vegas. So Right. That is true. Um so other news, I guess this is technically from last week, but since we skipped thirteen, um kind of big news uh that affects you, Chris. Uh, Apple Music is now basically all you can eat on T-Mobile because of their music freedom deal, which is hugely huge for conserving your data usage. Right. Yeah, I myself, I'm on an all-you-can-eat. So, and T-Mobile's unlimited is a little more unlimited than other carriers. So you really have to work at it to come up against their, uh, where they'll start slowing you down. Isn't it like 21 gigs? Yeah, it's some huge amount. Where a lot of other companies are, what, 5 gig? Uh, yeah. It's in like, the single uh, digits. Well, I know with um, Sprint's Unlimited, it's 5 gigs of LTE, and then they slow you down right. to like 3G speeds after that. Uh, and obviously Verizon and AT&T just have completely said no no chance in unlimited anymore <laughs> mm-hmm. we're we're gonna keep cutting down the the amount of data you get and we're gonna keep raising the price of the tiers so I don't know it it bothers me that other carriers haven't followed suit with some of the things T-Mobile's doing the music freedom thing if if like Verizon would jump onto the music freedom thing and allow you to do 
uh, all the streaming you want without eating away at your data, I could totally change data plans. I could totally switch to a tiered plan. Right. But I'm listening to music probably eight hours a day, five days a week. And obviously that's going to chip away at data usage pretty quick if I'm not on Wi-Fi. So. I was going to ask you, do you use Wi-Fi at work? or? My my goal is, and I, I think I discussed this a couple of weeks ago, my goal is for my bill cycle that started at the end of July, my August bill cycle, to try to use Wi-Fi at home and at work all the time. And so far, I'm somewhere around 5 gigs used, even with Wi-Fi at work and Wi-Fi at home, which I'm not really sure how. I'm not sure where a lot of that got chewed up. Wow. Um, the only thing I can figure is, you know, in the car, I'm listening to music to and from work or listening to a podcast to or from work, and that maybe that's doing it. Or my Wi-Fi at work is really, really crappy, which isn't untrue at all. Um, so I'm not sure where it all got chewed up, but apparently I've used a lot this month. Well, also the latest beta of iOS 9, doesn't it hand off to cellular if you do have any kind of... If it if it's weak connection. Yeah, it, weak connection to Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi assist, I think they're calling it. Yeah. So, if yeah, if it starts to sense a weak connection, which I know, I've know i noticed in the last couple days since that's come out, uh, a lot of times I'll start listening to a podcast or music in the car as I'm backing out of the garage, mm-hmm. and then it always cuts out at the corner, like just down from our house, mm-hmm. and then it takes a minute or so for it to kick back in and realize I'm not on Wi-Fi anymore. In the last week or so, that's gone away. It just kind of seamlessly hands off. So it's it's acting more like the way cell towers work as you drive and it passes from one cell tower to the next. Nice. So it's definitely a nice improvement, but it's also kind of a a dangerous game to play because if you're in a spot with kind of bad reception, it'll still say you're connected to Wi-Fi, but it'll actually be using cell data. So there's a dangerous line to be played there. It's a dangerous game. Dying to um, danger, danger. In the uh, the arena of cell phone stuff and carrier stuff, Verizon officially announced they're killing subsidies on their lines, which, I mean, T-Mobile's already done. Uh, and I know AT&T has started doing that at least to some extent, like in the Apple store. Oh, no, it's, where basically it's, uh, now it's done. As of August 1st, it... only, um, only AT&T's corporate-owned stores are even able to fulfill uh, two-year contracts. And even then, so, they try to actively discourage it. Right. So so basically, that's that's the way that this all breaks down, is instead of a two-year contract like you're used to signing in the U.S., you get a monthly um, financing fee, basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's basically that, interest-free financing. Yeah. And that over the course of however long it takes you, you pay it off. And your so your options with Verizon now is pay this monthly fee until your phone's paid off, or pay full price for your phone out out of pocket. And in theory, if you pay full price for the phone out of pocket, you spend less per month. The thing that doesn't make sense to me is I figured it out like for my usage without the twenty five dollars a month for an iPhone six or six S or whatever that it would be. Um, 
and I'm actually going to pay more switching to this pricing structure without mm. paying the monthly fee for the phone. So I'm not, that's why I say, you know, it seems like they keep charging more and more and more and giving you less and less and less. Yeah. I'm on a two year contract and I pay less than if I get off of the two year contract, buy my phone at full price and switch to their tiered data plan mm. structure. So it's kind of a racket. Make sure you do all the numbers before you fall for some of these things. Most of the time, they'll offer you some kind of incentive, like a lower uh, cost per month on each line. Um, I know at least on yeah. AT&T's end, um, in about 90% of cases, you're saving 50 to $100 over the course of the typical two years. But that's also assuming people don't use tons and tons of data. Well, right. I right. mean, that's if you go, a, if you go over like your a... data, that's going to be expensive, obviously. That's a, the other thing about Verizon's new announcement that kind of struck me and almost offended me a little bit is they, they've restructured their data tiers, um, basically saying 12 gig is the the most or the highest data tier you can take, the most data that you can have, whether it's you by yourself or a shared plan, 12 gig is where we're going to cap it. And anything over that is $15 a gig. So assuming that I've used 5 gig already and I'm only three weeks through my bill cycle... That's a dangerous game to play, considering that I have my wife's phone also on our account. So, 12 gigs doesn't seem like enough for a family of two. So, a family of four seems like it would be just impossible. Yeah, especially and, when you consider and, two of those are probably teenagers or kids. Right, especially in those always, kind of situations. Always connected. Um. So, yeah, it's... it's uh. It's one of those things. I hope that U.S. carriers start to kind of figure their shit out because yeah, we don't just hold keep, your breath. we're just going backwards. You know, I, I think I think back to the days of text messaging. You know, when text messaging started to be a thing, you could basically just get an unlimited texting plan. And then right away they were like, nope, that's costing us too much. And so they switched, and it was like, you can get 100 text messages for this much, or 250 for this much, or 500 for this much. And, for it, doesn't, days. and it doesn't actually cost them a damn dime for text no. messages because it uses an unused portion of the carrier. Say, I don't know what it is. Yeah, That's yep. but, but that was their whole their whole argument was, oh, well, it costs us, so yeah. they pulled it down. Imagine and, that they lied to us. And yeah. as, as time went on, it was like, oh, well, instead of $10 getting you 500 text messages, now $10 gets you 1,000. And then ten dollars gets you two thousand, and then ten dollars got you unlimited. Mm -hmm. At some point, the, I, I see data doing the same thing. That right now, what fifty dollars gets you in data, hopefully, in a year or two, that same fifty dollars gets you twice as much data or three times as much data. Well, I think that's that's clearly going to be the case as the infrastructure continues to improve. I mean, to to assume that the starting level for a data plan, say a, a single line starting, you know, a, a smartphone, saying two gig is your baseline for data, that seems really low. Hmm. Like, I guess maybe I'm not a normal use case because I use my phone a lot for a lot of things. I would wager that but most people like... use at least three or four gigs per month per line. Yeah. Yeah. But again, especially you consider that a, a kid who's who's been on their parents' contract and now they're 
graduated college and got a job. And they're like, I'm going to get my own phone contract because that seems to be what kids want to do is separate from their parents and do their own thing. And that seems like an easy way to break free. Maybe that was just me, but to to separate and try to do your own thing. It's like, well, if I get two gigs for 50 bucks or four gigs for 60 bucks, maybe I'll spend the 60 and get the extra two gigs, but I probably don't have a job, uh, a job that's paying very well. So Jay Glenn Kunzler has added draw. Yeah. What the hell are you doing? Jay Glenn? It's terrifying. Anything I want to. <laughs> <laughs> for those listening, we, we use Google Hangouts to do this and there's all kinds of little toys inside of it. And a little message just popped up that Glenn's now going to draw on her face. It might as well have said, Glenn Someone got bored. Someone is drawing on you. <laughs> I now have a red mustache. Well, half of a red mustache. Ha- well, the mic's in the way. Would you like the rest of my face? There, you there we go. go. Let's, let's fix that up right there. Very accommodating. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Very good. <laughs> so, uh, I, I now have a mustache to match my distaste for Verizon. Here, Glenn, make this red. <laughs> Uh, so so moving on topics last week uh well i guess a week and a half ago now chris was away visiting family and he was in uh, what i he he was literally he went on vacation to 1971 well it was only a few days well it's the first part of the vacation was actually 1959 it was a state-run lodge so you can imagine um well but yeah the last couple of days were visiting my wife's uh, mom and dad and it's it's like a 1970s museum and i f-ing loved it can i say that word on here you <laughs> anyway, did <laughs> i mean and i literally just walked in and i saw their sunken living room with the 1970s stereo and their dining room suit is plexiglass seats with a glass table and i just looked at my wife and i said i f-ing love this i want to live here so so what you sent us some pictures of it and you were like this is so cool and you sent us the the, the sunken living carpeting. room they have a rate the for the carpeting. shag carpeting like you, you sent all that and i started thinking about how i know people and and you know glenn's got his hipster cup um i, I know people now who like they're out looking in thrift shops trying to find that 1970s stuff just because they want it to come back and be popular. Yeah. And and then as I thought more about it, I started to realize the pieces of technology we use and the things that are coming about now in technology that are actually kind of throwbacks to old school tech. And and the first thing that popped in my head was Beats 1 because it's radio, which we've been spending all these years trying to kill radio with tape and CD and MP3 and streaming music and satellite and all this stuff where you eliminated the DJ and you eliminated somebody else choosing the songs for you. And now we're back to a DJ picking your music. Right. And it's the most popular feature of Apple music. And yeah, exactly. And you know, things like that. And then obviously we've talked about vinyl before, um, how that's like the resurging way to buy music now. Is that people want to to own music on on vinyl, and they'll listen to it on their iPhone or their you know whatever their Android phone on Spotify or on Apple Music or whatever service they're using. But if they want to own it, they buy it on vinyl. Vinyl. 
um, and and some of those things we've talked about before on the show. But one of them that I just signed up for is Sling TV, and I know we briefly talked about how it was kind of rethinking the way some of these streaming services and live TV work. Uh, it includes like Food Network, HGTV, TNT, TBS, um, AMC is in there. ESPN and ESPN2, there's a couple others, uh, sling.com if you want all the official list of channels and everything. Uh, but for 20 bucks a month, you basically get streaming access on any of your devices, wherever you are, uh, with the exception of Apple TV, it seems. Um, and you get to watch TV that way, which I guess is as close to a cable subscription as you can get without having cable. And... Um, that basically it still requires you to do that old school thing and have your local channels on an antenna feed because your local channels are not included. Hmm. Um, so what are some other things you guys can think of without, with, uh, the cord cutting thing that make, maybe make it easier or maybe are good tips for somebody who's considering cutting the cord. One thing that, that I like to do that, that sort of falls in this category is uh, I like to build a home or, or a movie library on my Mac. I rip all of my DVDs to my hard drive, and I use a program called Plex. Um, it basically turns your Mac into a media server of sorts so that you can view those movies from your iPhone, from your iPad, um, from not the Apple TV yet, but uh, devices like the Roku you can easily access that entire music collection so long as your Mac is turned on. Um, or if you have network-attached storage, like a NAS that you use for backups, um, many of those devices also natively support Plex. Um, that's one of the things I use a lot. I've got a huge library of TV shows and movies in there. Yeah, I do, I do something similar. I don't have quite as many uh, stored on the Mac, but uh, my television, I've got an LG Smart TV, and it easily sees the Plex server and other types of media servers, and you can just view it right on the TV uh, without having a box hooked up to it or anything. It seems like iTunes home sharing deserves a shout-out here. It's a pretty great cord-cutting feature. Ability to easily access your entire iTunes library from your Apple TV or any of your uh, Mac or iOS devices. As long as you're logged in with the same Apple ID and password um, on all of those devices, and of course there are plenty of apps for iOS that support uh, a lot of the cable channels, a lot of the uh, HBO, Showtime that you can uh, view in that way. Yeah, as well as through a box or your television. Yeah. Well, another thing too is um, the iTunes in the cloud on Apple TV also helps if it's things you bought. Uh, I mean, obviously, it depends on how you get your content. I, I mean, if you buy DVDs of shows and you rip them to your computer, obviously, you need something like Plex to view those. But if you buy the things in iTunes, whether it's movies or TV shows, um, when you open up your Apple TV and you go to your purchase content, all those shows and movies are there. Right. Uh, so you can watch them straight that way. I know we bought a couple movies. We bought uh, Family Vacation or yeah, whatever the original vacation was with Chevy Chase. National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah, that's, that's the one. Not to be confused with the new one with... Uh, what's his face? Ed Helms. Not that one. Um, yeah, we bought that, and my wife pulled it up on her phone, and she's like, hey, look, National Lampoon's Vacation's only four bucks. And I was like, bye. 
She clicked buy, and I clicked on the Apple TV, and there it was, ready to go. Hmm. So, the iTunes in the cloud thing is certainly helpful oh, yeah. for viewing video. Um, other things that, that can certainly help for cord cutters, I know one big reason people are afraid to cut the cord is sports. Keep in mind that um, most sporting things are on broadcast channels in the event that they're not it's not that expensive to go to the bar order a beer and watch the game you don't have to drink 10 beers while you're at the game chris you can uh you what, can just what, drink one what, what? I, no I, you couldn't have said that no no <laughs> that couldn't be right no um it, it is okay to go and watch do strip clubs have televisions i have no idea i've never noticed one i've Never been in one. When I, when, when I used to go, it was probably before television. So That's true. Back when you had to change the channel. That's why they didn't have one. You had to change the channel on the strippers. <laughs> <laughs> just, just turn this here. And the yeah, they did not like it when you touch. Never mind. So, um, what I've found is that it, there, are, there are some really good tips and tricks online about whether or not cord cutting is the right decision for you, whether it's something that would work. Um, and I'll have a whole bunch of links in the the show notes at magnificentpodcast.com slash 14. And Good uh, you can also, if, if you ever want to know what people's experiences have been with, been like, uh, literally just a Google search, a year without cable, a month without cable, a week without cable. Um, it's just like pages on pages on pages of people who have done the, the, uh, the cord cutting and have written about their experience basically. So that's my my thoughts on cord cutting. I'm I'm very close to having all the things in place so that I can cancel dish. So I'll, I guess I'll know more about it later. And obviously if if people have things like Apple TV and um Roku's and Xboxes and stuff like that, those things make cutting the cord uh, infinitely easier because they give you access to all those other things, Netflix and Hulu and Sling and whatever other service you may want. So um, when it comes to cutting the cord, you do need maybe some equipment and some subscription services outside of it, but you can, in theory, save money. Um, from that, let's uh, let's talk briefly about rumors and and how rumors affect our I guess expectations and this I'll tie this into the TV discussion in the the sense that we were told by some of the tech blogs on the internet that there would be an Apple TV announced in June with this new streaming service that was Apple's basically shot at cord cutting and then last minute tech blogs were like, nope, not going to happen. And then lo and behold, it didn't happen. And so my question for you guys is how do, how do rumors affect our expectations and what happens when we're let down by those expectations or the rumors don't come true? That's a big question. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I'm guilty of, uh, definitely of publishing rumors. I try to I try to temper them 
whenever I can. Uh, you know, making sure to add, take this with a grain of your favorite salt substitute. Don't, uh, you know, don't expect too much out of this. Everything changes, you know, blah, blah, blah. But sure. we almost have to publish the rumors or I think people really enjoy them. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the rumors because 90% of them don't pan out. But if you don't report on them, then you're almost left behind. Right. Re reader readership wise. So I'm, I'm kind of iffy, you know, I'm definitely guilty of, of doing it quite a bit, but I try to temper expectations when I do. Sure. So here's the thing. Um, rumor mongering is a massive growing trend um, in, in the entire tech journalism industry. The thing you've got to realize right off the bat is that the majority, the vast majority of all of these rumors are complete nonsense. Many of them are, are made up on the spot. Many of them come from very dodgy so-called sources that a journalist might think is legitimate at the time, but which doesn't end up panning out. The thing you've got to remember, and this is true of, of not just rumors, but, but reporting in general, is you've got to be a good skeptic. If you're reading something about an upcoming Apple TV or, or an upcoming iPhone with Force Touch or any number of fanciful unicorn-like products that Apple may or may not release in the near future, the most important thing is consider the source. You've got to think about what that particular journalist and institution have done in the past. Look at their track record. Consider how much information they're providing, how specific that information gets. A lot of the broader tactics regarding these rumors is to be intentionally vague and to include enough very carefully worded language that no matter what you say, you're going to get a little piece of it right, and that makes you look good for when you want to do it again. Um, but above all, rumors are just that. They're rumors. Their chatter that comes down the grapevine, maybe from a company, maybe from somebody who knows what they're talking about, maybe from some guy on the street that thinks he knows how to spin something pretty interesting. Um, but I, I would say, at the end of the day, the most important things to consider are, think about the likeliness, in reality, of that thing coming to fruition. Consider the source. Consider the author. Consider the institution. Make sure you're putting in your due diligence rather than just believing whatever the collective clickbait industry wants you to believe for the sake of them getting advertising dollars from you by visiting their websites. So what you're saying is we're not going to see an iPhone with a PS2 mouse attachment. <laughs> yeah, you heard it oh, here first, guys. Come on, Digitime said it was true. <laughs> because, because if it happens, technically that rumor started with me. You're welcome. Uh, and it wasn't very vague either. No, that, that was very specific. I've I've been asking for it. I think since the iPad two event, hmm. maybe the iPad three. One of those. I even actually, if you go to my personal site, which I'm not going to give a link to, but if you can find it on the internets, um, I have a blog post out there where I I jokingly write about the upcoming iPad and what what features we're definitely going to see, and it's literally just like poking fun at the rumors that things ha the rumor of things that happen 
And one of the things that I commented on was a PS2 mouse port. And I, I had somebody else comment, and they were like, that's amazing. I think in many ways, rumors are kind of the toxic hell stew of tech journalism, right? Even in the best case scenario, where all of these rumors are likely to happen, you've got to ask, what good are those rumors doing? What good is it really to know one month or two months in advance what's going to happen when you could just wait and watch the keynote or read the announcement? It's really not gaining you anything, even if the knowledge is correct, to have that slightly beforehand. Yeah, but Other it's than just it, like it, you know, it harms the build-up to, build to a movie. Mm-hmm. It builds you, get, hype. You, you find out you find out plot points about the next Batman versus Superman, or the rumor mill is the trailer for the announcement. Right, right, exactly. Uh, it, so I mean, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You definitely consider the sources. It's it's just one of those scary things where rumors can get out of hand, and you, people need to be skeptical. If if especially with Apple, if it's something that's not announced, it's not announced and it's subject to change it's subject to be entirely wrong it's never and, official until apple says and, it is. and that goes for even if you see it on nbc or abc or cbs or whoever nightly news it is because i've seen it where they say oh apple's apple's rumored to do this and then that thing doesn't happen and then those main well, the, stream networks, news stations the networks like, have to be the least mm-hmm. the least capable or the least reliable but but they're they're coming out and they're saying it and I think they probably when you consider the size of the audience, especially like in the Chicago area, you know any of your your local news stations could easily be reaching over a million people at any point in time. Right. In in one statement, they could say the next iPhone is going to have this, and then it doesn't, and now a million people here just were told something wrong. So, but so I think there could be a lot more integrity in the ways that these things tend to be portrayed by the media. Now, that being said, many sites do this particularly well. Um, sites such as Mac Rumors, sites such as um, Tua, which I think Tua is still around. I, I heard some mumblings about them possibly closing. Um, most Sites that have been around a while that have a good reputation, that have really solid journalists, they tend to take a very skeptical approach, even in these best-case scenarios where the rumor is coming from somebody that's known to leak inside information. That level of skepticality is, to me, the mark of journalistic integrity. When you see, I, I, I don't want to call it, but yeah, Matt, I think Chris does a great job at this. He always analyzes things. He, he tends to point out. The I, right wasn't, I wasn't fishing. So, I was just so yeah, you, you, you deserve a, a, a nice shout out there because I, I think you're, you're better than most when it comes to weeding through nah, things. Nah, not for that rag. Come on. Um, but you see a lot of sites, and I don't want to call out or, or demark anyone in particular, but they'll post these headlines as if they're facts, as if this is something they mm-hmm. know, right? Apple is planning this. Apple will do this in June. And the fact is, they don't know that. Nobody knows that. Oftentimes, even Apple's executives don't know that until just a couple of weeks leading up to the event. So anytime somebody presents to know something is a fact, that should raise immediate, immediate red flags. Anytime that dose of skepticality is missing, from the presenting source, you should be concerned that they might be misleading you. Even if they have it on very good authority, that skepticism means they're at least giving it the consideration that 
it could be wrong and they don't know it for a fact. I don't know. What do you what are your guys' thoughts on this about integrity and in rumor reporting? I have a dog carnival happening in the background, sorry. I mean I I get the idea. It it drives interest, it drives traffic, it gets people excited. So I think they have good intent. I think there are too many places that report on things that are rumor or are speculation and don't give the appropriate or, or too many sites that right. just flat out make stuff up. Because I think that. we all know that that happens. Or that. That's that's certainly true. And like I said, I I think what when it gets scary to me is when I have people at work who I know aren't reading the tech blogs that come up to me, and they're like, "Well, I know you know Apple stuff. So is it true that Apple's releasing a 65 inch, you know, 10K TV with?" built-in coffee maker and uh, mm-hmm. beer keg. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure if if you found that somewhere on the internet, that's got to be, be true. Because you can't put anything on the internet that's not true. Right. No, like, you, like, just use a little bit of thinking before cool. you, you go into these things. Did oh, Apple announce it? Be nice. If you go to their site... And it doesn't have a picture of a 65-inch TV with built-in coffee maker and beer keg. They probably didn't announce it. It's the thinnest beer keg yet. Mm. <laughs> so, I, I think there is there is a certain amount of uh, consumer and reader-facing uh, common sense that should be applied that sometimes isn't. And I think there is a level of integrity that sites need to have and the yeah, writers need I, to have at the same I, time. I think it goes I think it goes deeper than just um, deeper than just rumors too I mean there there are so many of these sites and even some sites that are typically reputable um, almost all of the larger sites are guilty of this t- to some degree clickbait headlines that are intentionally misleading that present something in a way that that does not reflect the article or that reflects a stronger position than what the article really takes. It really misleads people. I mean, someone's going to go through their Our RSS and feed. they're going to read a series of headlines and something that's clearly untrue is probably going to stick in their mind at some point. And is this doing damage to news reporting? That's uh, true. I, I personally think it probably does. Well, there's, there's a reason that these people are writing for a site on the internet and not for... Yeah, Forbes or whoever. Major yeah. publications. Yeah. Not that major publications aren't equally guilty of clickbait headlines, Wall Street Journal. <laughs> um, but they are less guilty of it or less frequently guilty of it. So it's it's definitely something to consider and something that people need to think about. And I think it's important that we pointed out at least on occasion so that's our uh, public service announcement of the day uh use your heads when you're reading stuff on the internet folks that's right <laughs> good luck with that the uh the last topic i wanted to discuss uh i have a feeling it's going to take us longer than the time we have left so we'll save it for next week uh which i guess we'll just make that a teaser then we're going to talk about um the appropriate ages to use uh, various pieces of technology. And if you have input on how old you think someone should be before they start getting into technology, 
um, go ahead and tweet us with the hashtag AskMagnificent. Or you can tweet at us at the uh, the Twitter name MagnificentFM at MagnificentFM, uh, and just let us know how old how old is too or how young is too young to get your kids started on playing with technology, and we'll discuss that next week. Uh, but for now, we'll roll into the something of the week for each of us, and I know um, I'm kind of excited about mine because it's something that I had a lot of fun with in the last week and a half or so. Then you should so, go ahead and do it. Tell us. If, if you guys don't mind, I'll go first. Go. Go. Do it. Uh, my wife and I have been watching Hollywood Game Night for the last season or two or whatever, however long it's been on NBC. And they now have an app for your iOS device that lets you uh, play Hollywood Game Night at home and lets you be Jane Lynch or whatever celebrity you want for a little while. It's a great game for families, for when you have friends over. And it's only a buck in the App Store, and you can do all kinds of things. Um, there's Almost all the games that are on the show Hollywood Game Night also exist in the app. And so there's there's things like I Love a Charade and How Do You Do and some of the uh, the fun celebrity games where you have to you know, guess the celebrity or guess the movie. Um, so it's just a fun way to to kind of pass some time, and it's it's a good game to play when you're drinking or hanging out with family or whatever it is so hollywood game night ios app store 99 cents that's mine what's next well what the hell i'll do it mine is the pronto smart remote it's just a little black device that sits on your uh, coffee table hooks up to your iphone or even ipad with uh, via bluetooth and allows you to control your television your cable box uh, even a certain set-top boxes, all from your iOS device. Uh, it's actually the setup and how it works is really well done compared to some I've tried. Only takes a few minutes to get everything set up, um, even though it didn't have a setup right out of the box for my uh, Blu-ray player slash home theater sound system. I was able to get it set up in just a couple of minutes by just going through the codes. Um, it works real well. Just sits on. It's pretty inconspicuous sitting on your dining room table or on your uh, even on your television stand. As long as it's in line of sight of all your equipment, it'll work great. It's uh, forty nine ninety nine at Best Buy this week on sale. Ten dollars off. Yeah, so we got lucky on that. So it's normally but, uh, sixty bucks. It's from Peel. It's called the Prano Smart Remote. We'll put a link out there on the Magnificent website. See if anybody wants to uh, check it out. Heck yeah. Mine Mr. is um, significantly less serious than either of yours, but uh, one that I'm nevertheless quite fond of. Um, Angry Birds 2. It's It's been a pretty long time coming, even though we've seen, I think, over a dozen Angry Birds titles on iOS at this point. Um I just love that it kind of adds to the story, introduces some new characters, more of that physics-based gameplay that made Angry Birds itself um, so magnificent and and such a huge success. Um, It's notably a little bit more obnoxious than than it is when it started. Lots of in-app purchases, lots of advertisements, but still a great free way to to have some fun and uh, there's some nice social engagement built in now through Facebook. 
um, very enjoyable game that's of of at least the quality you would expect from from Ravio. They've they've done a great job on it, and uh, it's a great little time waster. Damn, I locked myself out of my document. Which I hate when that happens. Right at the best part of the show. The only part of the show where I read things. Very best part. Gotta remember everybody's Twitter handles. Um, well, I know the important question to ask right now is, are there any last words? Farfig Nugan. That's, that's my last word. Farfig Nugan. Farfig Nugan, okay. Perfect. Well, with that, uh, thanks again to all the listeners and subscribers. Listeners and subscribers. Listeners and subscribers. That's you people who are listening. For, no, it's not. Uh, for joining us on Magnificent. Uh, be sure to tweet us your questions, comments, and like I said, respond to the how, how young is too young to start uh, introducing your kids to tech. Okay, I'm glad you added that. Hashtag Ask Magnificent. And uh, hopefully we can get some of your feedback on next week's show. Uh, you can get the show notes with links to all the things we talked about, the cord cutting tips, the things of the week, all that stuff at magnificentpodcast.com slash 14. And you can give us a follow on Twitter at MagnificentFM. And while you're at it, go ahead and give Chris and Glenn follows at CLHauk and the Glenja, respectively, on the Twitter machine. And if you feel ever so inclined, you can follow me as well at Ian Fuchs. Uh, if you did enjoy the show, uh, share it with your friends on the social medias and spread the word. It shows us you love us. And uh, you can also show you love us by giving us a rate or review on, rating or review on iTunes because it lets us know you care. And with that, gentlemen, I appreciate you joining me this week, and we'll catch you next week. Later, dude. Absolutely. Absolutely.